Amen. If you have your Bibles, turn with me to Acts chapter 15 this morning. We're going to be in the book of Acts as we continue walking through things today. Um, we're talking about how to struggle biblically. We don't like the word struggle a whole lot. I've been um, thinking through this all week long as I've been looking into place, looking into what we're talking about, and trying to see my life through the lens of struggling. And let me tell you what, struggling is easy to find these days, amen? It's easy to find things that are difficult, uh, that we struggle with. Uh, I, I, I can't tell you the number of times I thought, oh man, Lord, that's such a good moment. Eventually, I had such a, a, a large amount of data, I figured the Lord wasn't giving me examples all for the sermon, but instead, he, he was teaching me what biblical struggling looks like. Yesterday, um, I, I had walked through our yard many times. The freeze that hit Texas, if you were here during that time, it killed lots of stuff, right? My yard looks like a, a forgotten wilderness for quite a while. 20-year-old Indian hawthorns lined my walkways, all showing no signs of life. Um, we, we prayed over them, not because we love Indian hawthorns, but because we knew the work that it would be when we pull them out. So in, in the midst of all of that, we decided yesterday that, that it was enough of our yard looking like death. We didn't want people to think that death reigned inside as well as outside. So we had a family work day. Have you all had a family work day in the yard lately? I, when Jesus says there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth in that place, he was thinking of a family work day. Do you know that? That he was, he was thinking of this idea that you're going to have a difficult, struggling place. I just know it. So let me tell you what happened. Uh, if you know me, I am frugal to the nth degree. Some may call it cheap. Don't buy that. It's frugal. And so I've determined that we had pulled out the Hawthorns that I could rent a tiller. We could till this land up and get it ready for laying grass back where it would look. And it's going to look fantastic. And, and I've been avoiding this because weeds are growing everywhere right now. You can't put mul enough mulch down. That's why I tell myself to keep me from putting new mulch down. And so we got out 10 o'clock in the morning. That's what time I could rent the tiller. And we go to work. And about 12 seconds into running a tiller, I think, God, forgive me. I have no, I don't know what I'm doing kind of thing. And, and it's hard work. And from 10 until 3 o'clock, we are working on these two flower beds. Jesus didn't have a house. Do you know why? Because he hated flower beds. That's not in the Bible. That's free. If you're new, Jesus did not hate flower beds. But we labored and we struggled. And when we were done, we were more proud of the way our yard looks now than if we would have hired someone to come in to do it. Now, I want you to know something. Everything hurts. <laughs> My, I, took, I took ibuprofen before I was finished uh, working because I knew it was going to hurt. But the, the struggle taught me something I didn't intend to learn yesterday. How out of shape I am. 
and you can look at me I love it man some 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 people will come up I was helping some guys the other day and they said you really work out don't you I can tell that you're in shape you really work out and I'm like man praise Jesus for you I will I will not affirm nor deny what you just said but kind of like everyone else COVID has kind of kept me in a little bit more and and I don't and it showed yesterday and what's amazing is the neglecting of my physical body was revealed in the struggle of something that had to be done and I thought oh Lord you have given us more quiet time in the last year and a half than we've ever dreamed if anyone ever told the Lord I would draw near to you if I just didn't have to work every day if I just didn't have to go to school and do homework every night God says I'll call your bluff you see I think we've gotten soft I think we've gotten accustomed to just saying well God said it and that's the way it is and 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 God says I said it and that's the way it is but he says the Bereans in scripture are better than others because they look to see if what they're being told is true and, and as I started to, to look through that, what does it mean to jump in with the Lord? What does it mean to struggle biblically? Is that a good thing? What's the result if we don't struggle biblically? So as I'm preparing for this week, I, I come across an article that points to a study from 2005 done by the sociology department at the University of Notre Dame. And, and out of all of this study, they found something that in the, the 2021 report that just came out this year about all things in America is a firm that is only developed. And, and the study was that among the group of people who are now entering midlife or just past midlife, there has been a predominant religion taught and accepted. And, and it's, not, it's not confined to a denomination or a religious belief in a speck. It's more of a set of beliefs. And this sociologist coined the phrase, this is why you haven't heard it on the news, because it's too big, moralistic therapeutic deism. Moralistic therapeutic deism. And, and how the name comes across is, is that, that, that people... Over 40% of all adults in America today, all ages, about 40% hold to this belief, whether they call themselves Christian or Catholic or Muslim or Hindu or whatever. 40%. Moralistic. Be a good person, helping people is good. That's what God wants from my life. Therapeutic. God is there when I am trouble, but distant at other times. My purpose is to be happy and feel good about myself. Deism. There is a God. He places, he places limited demands on us, and he lets good people into heaven. I will tell you from what the research in 21, 21 says is this is the majority view of people who claim the name Christian in America today, beyond 40%. This is the majority view. God wants me to be good. He doesn't demand much of me, but I can pull him out when I need to 
and he's there for me when I'm in trouble. That's why I won't go to hell because that's the worst trouble you can be in. And I confessed Jesus when I was eight. And I'm a good person. I've lived a happy life. Church, what, what this study found is that church isn't being attacked from the outside. That it's rotting from the inside out. In, in the middle of that, here's the amazing thing. It's not, when they, when they started studying how did we get to this point, the, the, the research found it, and even almost the, the secular side of it was, was simply this. It seems that most people want to do the right thing. They've just been led down the path, the wrong path to achieve that goal. They, they want to. Most Christians would like to do that, but, but don't know how. That's kind of the Christian perspective on this. Let me tell you what the data says. The data says that the church has been excellent at teaching stuff. Like we're phenomenal at knowledge transfers. In fact, if you can transfer knowledge like a Greek scholar, you have arrived because it's about knowledge transfer because that's when I exalt somebody. I, I want you to know... I have sat across the table from most people realizing that I am the, the sh not the sharpest tack at the table, so to speak. But we have uplifted this knowledge transfer religion. And what has happened is that the world, and when I say the world, I just mean those outside of the, the true church of the Lord in Christ Jesus, has simply done a better job at defining the importance of Christianity in your life. It's not that we haven't taught good data. It's that we haven't led people to where the data was always meant to lead us. We talk Bible, church, but we do not exemplify Christ consistently. Moralistic, be a good person, therapeutic, you can always turn to Jesus. Deism. God doesn't demand much from me except for that I know more about him and be a good person. If we keep having to turn to Jesus, what's the implication? That we live most of the time with our back turned to him. Church, whether you're 80, whether you're 18, we have forgotten how to struggle biblically. In fact, we much prefer the easy life. We much prefer to live biblically as long as there's nothing thrown at us, as long as there's not problems. We, we prefer that peaceful, easy feeling with Jesus too. How in the world is the prosperity gospel making an impact? Because we promoted the white picket fence for Jesus. And I don't know that there's anyone exempt from this. Church, we have to get back into shape because if the Lord is going to use you and I, first, he has to expose some stuff in us. 
But second, he has to use us to lead, not simply to teach. He has to use us to lead, not simply to teach. And, and that's a big thing. We're going to talk about that today. But is struggling in the Bible? I, I, want, I just want you to know, when you sign up for life in Christ, in this world, you will have trouble. Struggle. How did it all start? Do you remember Israel, God's chosen people? It started with a man. His name was Jacob. He got the name Israel. How? Because he ran from all the hard things in life. He took stuff into his own hands. But there came a point in time when he could not find an easy way out. And all night long, he struggled. Genesis 32. He struggled with the Lord. He wrestled with them all night long. And the day was dawning. He's, he's wrestling. And the Bible says in Genesis chapter 32 that Jacob prevailed. That Jacob prevailed. And when we think prevail, we mean one. And he asks for a blessing. He says, please tell me your name. Please bless me. When when we have messed up scripture, we see Jacob, a man who was so persistent that he's now pinned the Lord down and said, I won't let you go. Church, the word prevailed means endure, don't forget. It, it means he's not dead. That's what it looks like to struggle with the Lord while you're in sin. It means that you wrestle all night long and you, like a toddler on the coattails of a mom or a dad, saying, I'm not going to let you go. Not until you bless me. Jacob is not standing in a position of power over God. He has just endured all night long. He's unwilling to let go like a child to a parent, not like an enemy to a conquered person. When Jacob prevailed, he means I wrestled with God all night long and he didn't do away with me. So what did God say your blessing is? Israel which means you've struggled with God. Why do I know that that's the picture? First, Jacob says, please. I've been pinned to the floor a hundred times by my big brother. He never said, please, in a position of power. The second thing I know is the Lord touched his hip and made him walk with a limp from there on out. He touched it. I started to get the picture. Jacob was struggling. The Lord was not. Church, we can walk through Scripture and we see this over and over that there is a blessing of biblically wrestling with the Lord. There is a, there is a blessing when you and I, when we run into hard things of this life for biblically struggling with God until he reveals his truth to us. Not because we demand it, but because we need our Father's direction. That's, that's biblical struggling. That's staying awake through the night. That's the picture of putting on cloth and going into prayer. All of these things, it's biblically struggling with God. You see, we've found ourselves in our weakness to try to figure out how to struggle without struggling. Do we just take hard stances until someone else comes up with an answer? 
Is that what biblical struggling look like? How about this? How about worldly tactics? You yell at me, I'm going to yell at you, but with Jesus stuff, but the face is just as angry. I'll use what you have. I'll just throw Jesus in there. I'll fight fire with fire. That's like your child vomiting on you and saying, I'll show you, and you vomit back on them. Right? Yeah. Our whole family dedication is like, oh, I see that. It doesn't work. It makes no sense. See, I think we know how to struggle, but not biblically. And as I was looking through Acts chapter 15, I saw the biblical wrestling in a the, in the layout and a plan that God has that doesn't contradict anything I've ever seen before, but maybe because of where I am in life, maybe because of where our church is, maybe because of where our country is, it made sense. You see, in Acts chapter 15, an issue is coming up. All right, Acts chapter 15, verse 1 through 6. Let's read it. I won't tell you the issue. I'll let God tell you the issue. Acts chapter 15, we're going to read a lot of scripture today. Holy moly, we're going to be here till tomorrow. Not really, not really. Acts chapter 15. But some men came down from Judea and were teaching the brothers, unless you're circumcised according to the custom of Moses, you can't be saved. After Paul and Barnabas had no small dissension and a debate among them, excuse me, with them, Paul and Barnabas and some of the others were appointed to go up to Jerusalem to the apostles and elders about this question. So they being sent on their way by the church, they passed through both Phoenicia and Samaria, describing in detail the conversion of the Gentiles and brought great joy to all the brothers. When they came to Jerusalem, they were welcomed by the church and the apostles and the elders, and they declared all that God had done with them. But some believers who belonged to the party of the Pharisees rose up and said, it is necessary to circumcise them and order them to keep the law of Moses. Now, I just want you to stop here. This is, this is a big deal because this is some unsettling that's going on in the early church, and it's, it's good unsettling, quite honestly. To put this image in perspective, we don't talk about circumcision in the way Scripture does. We don't see life quite the same. But I want you to know, as I walk through this, this is the hardest thing. This is the hardest struggle, I think, that Scripture presents the church with. In the book of Acts, in the early church, you see it play out in all of Paul's letters. I don't know that there is a greater thing to, to tack onto this and, and, and to not play it down for you. What's happening is Gentiles, people who are not Jews, are coming to know Christ and being um, given the, the gift of the Holy Spirit. They're being baptized. They're, they're following Jesus. They're saying, I'm all in. Now, this is is great no one's not celebrating this everybody's celebrating it the, the problem is there's issues you see circumcision genesis chapter 17 was how god started marking his people to separate them out from everybody else in in moses time when in the book of exodus before they go in they mark their people god marks his people separates them from everybody else says you're going to follow my my law going into the promised land in joshua god marks his people and he says listen if you are to this this is a physical sign that you are separated out from everybody else this is not a, a false 
conversation. This isn't Pharisees being typical Pharisees, that kind of thing. This is a real issue. Because the question comes up twofold. One, do you have to convert to being one of God's people as a Jew so that you can be a Christian? And the second is, if you don't, how in the world is a Jew who has been living by the Torah, who has claimed Christ, how do they have fellowship with you if you could defile them in your practice? while they were trying to be brothers and sisters with you. This was a real issue. How do you have fellowship without defilement? And do you have to be initiated in to this faith that always pointed to Jesus? You see, we wrestle with hard things today. But I'm telling you, I don't think anything that we wrestle with was as difficult as what they're doing. And, and, and why I say that is this. There, there are easy things that we have blown off that we need to wrestle with in Scripture because other people are wrestling with them and we want the fullness of God to show up in us. We need to wrestle. Maybe the things you're wrestling with is, how do I have a healthy marriage when for the last eight months... I have despised my spouse. How, how do I, Lord, how do I live? How do I work? When, when I know what I've believed, but I haven't wrestled with what you believe about what Scripture says about sexuality. I have a teenager running amok. Promiscuity fills their phone. I have a family member who I love dearly that have told me that they have feelings and they're acting on homosexual relationships. What do I do? What do I do when this person who doesn't act like a Christian or doesn't claim Christ acts more like a Christian than the guy I hear all the time gossiping, cussing, being angry to others? belittling people how do I handle that I was on the phone with my mom this week no joke my mom who, who raised me in church she loves Jesus desperately and we were just talking about church stuff and everything and we were talking about slavery and, and she said I just don't see how you could be for slavery whether it be because of race or what we would now call as human trafficking in Christ. And I said, Mom, I believe in the, the confession, our Baptist faith and message, our doctrine, but you know the Southern Baptist Convention was started because people wanted to own other people and still be missionaries, right? She said, I had no idea. Like, yeah, we, we don't struggle with stuff. We just want to move past everything. And the problem is when you and I don't struggle with them, what we tend to do is ignore, pretend, or we move from Christ towards our feelings. 
And the problem is, when we don't wrestle with that as, a, as an individual, we start compartmentalizing Jesus Christ. We start compartmentalizing God. God is love. John tells us that. Well, if God is love, then he will love anyone and everyone going through things. Or, or God is love, he just likes and forgives my sin more than he does your sin, because yours is vile to me. God is love. Well, God is love, but God is more than love. God is just. God is faithful. God is good. God is the protector. God is the, the discipliner. He is all of those things. To compartmentalize him means you have moved away from God and chosen not to struggle biblically, but to live personally. How you want to for Jesus. Church, the sociologist from Notre Dame would call that moralistic therapeutic deism, not Christianity. And so in this, we have this big picture, not of Pharisees being jerks. We tend to think of Pharisees most likely as Republicans. <laughs> Listen, Pharisees were people who manipulated God's word to make a man-tweaked religion drench themselves of God. That's what they really did. You don't need a current day title for that, so don't niche yourself out of it. How do we struggle biblically Whew, man. verse 6 the Bible says this the apostles and elders were gathered together to consider this matter you see when our minds are unsettled we have an example here of something amazing that's not the first time nor the last time in scripture and that is this that we should take our struggle to others who are more mature, who walk closely. Remember what Titus said last week, who, who are tied to scriptural doctrine and how they live in their family, live in their community, how they live at home, how they conduct themselves with their character, what they do with their stuff, all of those things. Are, do they, in maturity, let biblical doctrine be their hold and fast to it? They came to others who were elders, who were sufficiently hanging on to the word, to struggle with this with them. They were presented with other options. They didn't have to do this. They could have blown it off in Antioch and not worried about it. They, they, they could have just gone their own way, but the struggle was legitimately real. And so church, in that, there's wisdom in that. When you and I are struggling, we need to go to men and women of the faith who are more mature, further through the, the battle or further along with Jesus Christ and have proven it, not because simply they have gray hair, not simply because they go to church, but by living sound biblical doctrine in the areas of their life and their character goes along with that. Now, this is very different than talk radio, amen? And whoever you listen to talk radio, I know why you listen. Because they agree with who? Me. If you like, if you turn on the news and you're watching these, no one, no one reports anymore. Everybody's a journalist. Everybody's making up things here along the way. Whether it's MSNBC or Fox News, if you watch them, why are you watching them? They tend to agree with me. Moms, 
when you have a three-year-old having a difficult time, have you ever gone to other moms of three-year-olds? Guess what they're enduring? The same thing. It's not a way out. That's why being a parent feels like a life preserver sometimes. Like, if we all hold on, we'll survive. There tends not to be a hand of rescue if everybody's in the rapids with you. So if everybody that you go to for counsel, wisdom, and biblical struggle looks like you, sounds like you, acts like you, and is standing next to you, then you may need to think, am I biblically struggling with this? Or do I need to seek out those who are walking further or closer with God and it's proven in their actions? One, they took it to biblical elders. The second thing we're called to do is we're called to listen to the presentation. We don't like listening. We like cheap junk now. Amen? Have you ever seen someone get upset at a, at a gas station? If you go in a gas station now, it's like Bucky's. If you go into Bucky's to, to get a, a, a drink real quick and come out and you have to stand in a line and you're frustrated because you're late for work and they can't crack open the, the quarters if anyone uses those anymore fast enough. I mean, you're making me late for work. Like, bro, you just went to Bucky's for a drink. We want cheap junk now. But if you and I are going to struggle biblically, then we have to listen to the presentation. We have to listen to what's causing the uneasiness. We have to listen deeply. Look at verse 7 through 12. It says this, And after there was much debate, Peter stood up and said, Brothers, you know in the early days God made a choice among you that by my mouth the Gentiles would hear the word of the gospel and believe. And God knows the heart bore witness to them by giving them the Holy Spirit as he did to us. And he made no distinction between us and them, having cleansed their hearts by faith. Now therefore, why are you putting God to the test? By placing a yoke on the neck of the disciples that neither our fathers nor we have been able to bear. But we believe that we will be saved through the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, just as they will. And all the assembly fell silent and they listened to Paul and Barnabas as they related signs and wonders God had done through them among the Gentiles. Church, biblical struggling is done with others whose characters and lives show themselves solidly living, not just knowing, living the word of God. But it's done by listening to the testimony. It starts off like this. What's the purpose? Is it man-centric or God-centric? You see, is the struggle that you're feeling you trying to figure out how to love X, Y, or Z person and Jesus and be okay with him at the same time? It, is, is it, is it man-centric? God, I want to have peace over here, but it feels the opposite of what you should do. What, is it man-centric or God-centric? Don't, don't stop. Don't, don't quit before you share that. But the testimony needs to be seen. In, in Peter's word, he's saying it's God-centric. This isn't the easy road. This is testified by God, not by man. This isn't about pleasing others. This isn't about having peace in my family. This isn't about reconciling this small thing so that I can feel better about myself. Church, struggles are hard, and, and we're tied up in them. So when you're speaking about them, let someone else 
Listen also. So that they're not just there to affirm you and tell you God will figure it out later on. That's a cheap out. That's not struggling. Listen to their testimony. What's plain? What's plain? Is it consistent with Scripture? Is it constant in Scripture? Is it clear in Scripture? Consistent, constant, and clear. When you're listening, when you're with others, even when you're listening to yourself, what you're wrestling with in the presentation, is it consistent, clear, and constant in Scripture? I was set across the table for many people in my life who are trying to convince me, not biblically struggle, who are trying to convince me that what they're trying to wrestle into the church, into their life, into my life, is, is God's will, but it is not consistent, constant, nor clear in Scripture. I, I've read so many. I was, I was reading about the church, because there's churches all over the country are wrestling with gender identity and, and homosexuality right now. And, and so I've been reading church's statements on it like, like crazy. And, and the best defense I found was someone quoting Greek and like the 47th possible use of this word instead of what we would say homosexuality means boy servant. In other words, you, you, you shouldn't be intimate with your boy servant. But slavery is bad, so that's different. So this Bible now shows it doesn't, it doesn't even apply. It's so out of context, it's crazy. But you and I, if we don't wrestle with Scripture, someone says, well, the Greek says, who are we to know? I trust Pastor David. I trust my small group leader. I trust this person. That's awesome. But it will not stand up against real life happenings. So is what is being wrestled with, what's presented, consistent, constant, and clear in Scripture? Finally is this, is it submissive to the Lord? Or is it submissive to man's preference? Peter lays it out. Verse 12 is powerful. We believe that we will be saved through the grace of the Lord Jesus, just as they will. He has become our intermediary. Something has absolutely changed. The law is no longer our guardian, but Jesus Christ is our full hope. Church, in the midst of that, who is it working towards the good of? Mine or his? I can't tell you the number of people in my life who don't have biblical grounds for a divorce who have told me that Jesus told them to leave their spouse. It's not, nothing to do with Scripture. There's no clearness to it. There's no context for it. But if you haven't struggled it's amazing what our feelings can lead us to church. We have to be willing to submit the presentation to Jesus. So finally is how do we persevere? We, we surround ourselves with others running towards Jesus Christ hard. We listen to the presentation. 
whether it's coming from our lips or the presentation of others. Paul and Barnabas brought this forward. Peter spoke up. Then Paul and Barnabas spoke again. James and the apostles and the elders, they're all listening. They're trying to determine these things. And if you look through Scripture, you'll see all of this packed in there. But to persevere, the only way to hold on to God through the struggle is to cling to him. In other words, the, the outcome has to align itself biblically with God. Not, not me, not others, not what my friend thinks. James says this in verse 13, after they finished speaking, James replied, brothers, listen to me. Simeon has, has related how God first visited the Gentiles and took with him a people for his name. Now remember, that's the testimony. And with these, the, this, the words of the prophets agree, just as written. Now I'm quoting God's word. After this, I will return. I will be, rebuild the tent of David that's fallen. I will rebuild its ruins. I will restore it. And the remnant of mankind may seek the Lord. And all the Gentiles who are called by my name, says the Lord who makes these things known from old church i want you to know as this is being put in as james is wrestling with all of this stuff this idea of persevering this idea of of leaning in it's aligned with what god is doing and what he has clearly and constantly and consistently stated in scripture you don't have to interject extra in there it's not a shallow principle so the first thing is, does the decision please God? Does it rely on his authority? See, the only outcomes when we wrestle rely on his authority. They rely on his actions. They rely on his character and his name. Does it please God? Does it rely on Christ, all of who he is? Not just a part, but all. Secondly, does it promote Christ? Every decision that is from the Lord, every decision that is from God, every single decision exalts Christ. The Lord will never give you a direction when you struggle that doesn't exalt him. If you say, the Lord told me this is the plan for my, wife, my life, while you sin. And, and cause someone else to be burdened to get to that plan it does not please nor promote Christ therefore you haven't biblically struggled you follow me? it has to promote Christ above all and finally you have to practice the actions that you have are initiated because of Christ not actions that are initiated to entice him to your side of the field because of Christ, because of his word, because of what he's done. I'm not trying to woo him to my side. Church, biblical struggling is tough. And most of us spiritually look like me behind the tiller yesterday. 12 seconds in, over our head, out of our league, discouraged, wondering if we can actually accomplish what we have led others into. Have you ever been there? Have you ever said following me realizing that you know too little to lead? Or maybe, maybe you don't know where you're going, but you're out of shape 
See, in this isolation season that we're in, where it is your physical health above all things, here, here's what we're sinking into, and it's a wake-up call because it's obvious. You make all the decisions for yourself. As long as they're man-centric, and they make everyone else around you feel better about themselves. And, and in the midst of that, you need to struggle. But don't struggle too long. Because then you take some of the joy out of your life. So just live for the moment. Keep yourself healthy. Church, we need a wake-up call. We need to stop pointing our fingers at how sinful the world is. Church, here's the news update. Those who are living as captives to sin have no choice but to live as captives to sin. So stop being surprised. Stop getting angry. Stop, stop getting distracted by people acting the only way that they can. Because the church is going to rot from the inside out. Because instead of focusing on wrestling with God so that we might lead others to the door of Christ, we're too busy neglecting the hard things with the busy things. Church, after all this is said and done, James says this, Therefore, my judgment is that we should not trouble those Gentiles who turn to God, but to write to them to abstain from things polluted by idols that allows us to have fellowship. Love your neighbor as yourself. And allow yourself not to experience some freedom because of them. From sexual immorality. Because that's not just a God's people thing. That's a relationship thing. Why does your eternal groom care what you do with his body? I'll tell you what I told my son the other day. When you date a girl, I want you to think of her every moment as the bride-to-be of someone that is not you, and you treat her that way. I want the bride and the groom for my children to be treated with the utmost care. So why would with the eternal groom care what you do with your body? Because he's your groom. Upon what has been strangled from blood from every ancient generation and everything. Verse 22, so it seemed good to have apostles and elders with the whole church choose from and among them people to send to Antioch with Paul and Barnabas. In other words, they're not alone. So they sent Judas, calling him Barsabbas, Barsabbas, Silas, leading men from the church. And they sent a letter. These brothers, both with the apostles and the elders and the brothers who are in Gentiles in Antioch, in Syria and Sicilia, greetings. It's not enough to know. I would tell you it's not enough simply to wrestle through the night. Because a biblical struggle always ends in actions that point others to Jesus Christ. 
whether it's the brother or sister who is weak and struggling, whether it's edification to the one who's thriving, whether it's the one who, is, who does not know Christ, whether it's to stand strong for his name so that when you stand strong for his name, when someone flashes a camera at you, they're giving you a platform to show Jesus, not yourself. Church, we have to lead. But if we're gonna lead, then we have to struggle. We have to long to struggle. God shows us how. Maybe today, in the presence of others in this room, watching online, the Lord brought you here because you are so weak, you don't even know how to struggle. You can't biblically struggle with a God whom you have not drawn near to. His name is Jesus. And he says, deny yourself, deny your wants, desire, desire your desires, take up your cross, die to yourself, and follow me. Let me be your leader, your master, and your Lord. So for some of you, that's where we start. But for others, church, praise God for the struggle. Praise God for the difficulties of our country. Praise God for the season that we're in. Because we need to evaluate our spiritual life and say, have I been struggling with God? Or have I just been trying to neglect, ignore, or tight walk life? God has more for us than that. Let's pray. Father God, Lord, we love you. It's hard to wrestle. It's hard to struggle. But Lord, <laughs> the view from the top is better than the view from the bottom. It takes struggle to climb. It's effortless to fall. Lord, let us be a church where we joyfully realize when you direct us, when you correct us, let us be a witness to your name. Lord, thank you for your word that you show us the clarity of how to wrestle biblically, how to live biblically. In Jesus' name.